0: Welcome to the Serie A Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Serie A Show. I hope you missed us. We are finally back after the break. We apologize for the delay. We were going to record this a couple of days ago, but then we ran into a recording. uh, Snafu, we'll call it. But we are back. Very excited. Uh, Joined just by Chloe today. Nima's not here, although he may unexpectedly hop on just because we had another scheduling conflict. Um, So just Chloe and myself for now, and we'll see if Nima, uh, he is to be determined at this point. So, yeah, quite a lot happening. Chloe, I know in your, um, your team, Fiorentina, I, I just cannot understand. So we didn't address this because we were off when it initially happened. So let's just get this out of the way. Montella gets the sack, which is something we all expected, frankly. Um, but come on, they have to make a better appointment than that, right?
1: Yeah, I am. Um. <laughs> Obviously, as a Fiorentina supporter, the appointment of Iacchini isn't the most thrilling you can imagine. Um, However, I think they were in such a dire situation that um, maybe all I can think is that they've got him in because they know he can do a job. They know they they won't go down with him involved. And well, we hope (laughs) and that they'll just keep him until the end of the season before getting somebody really good. Uh, Because at the moment, I can't see how, even though they have the funds and the ambitions, I can't see how they can attract somebody really a big name um, because they've just been so terrible and it doesn't look like an attractive prospect. There's, uh, you know, there's still talks about the new stadium still ongoing. So there's nothing concrete. It's all just promises at the moment. And while I believe that those promises are um, true and that they are on the right path, I can see how somebody who, was going to be appointed as manager might not be able to see that quite yet so
0: do you see this as merely a short-term prospect I I I would just be so uninspired if they actually stuck with him beyond the summer or do you think there's actually the possibility they start getting results maybe they uh, from an aesthetic standpoint they start to look better do you think they could actually make this something just beyond the short term? I hope
1: not. I really yeah. I really hope not. Because, <laughs> you know, we all know that Yakini's a pragmatic coach. He can get the job done, but it's never going to be pretty under him. It's never going to be enjoyable, attractive football. And, and I hope that the owners know that attractive football is something that's so important to uh, Fiorentina's supporters. And that they're not, even if they're getting wins, they're not really going to be too happy with somebody who's just defend defend and nick a goal on the break is that you know it's just not that's just not the way to do it but my only concern is that they kept Montella so long and I think Camiso is a kind of a loyal guy he's loyal to his employees um and if Yakini starts doing well maybe they could keep him but I, I so hope not because they they really need to just have this as a short-term appointment just salvage what they can out of the rest of this season and then and then move on to somebody, hopefully when they've signed some good players, they can attract um, an equally talented coach to come in. Sure.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. That's fair enough. Um, all right, well, let, let's move to the latest results then. So this past weekend, we had a number of uh, eye-catching results. We're not going to talk about Roma. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, Mazzari, <laughs> I, I don't know how he pulled that one off. Roma had 31 shots. I just... Very little to say. I thought they were very unlucky, although the performance wasn't great. But I want to start with Juve Cagliari. I think the concern—well, let me just say, I speak for myself when I say this, but I, I it seems to be sort of the underlying uh, concern we all had for Cagliari. For me, Maran was the biggest question mark for them coming into the season. We all praised what they did in the summer with the transfer market. Uh, you know, They brought in Nangolan, Nandez, Simeone. They did a lot of good things. In the summer, I thought they improved dramatically, but I feel like this is where the obvious limitations to having a manager like Maran, they they just—it's so easy to pick out because I thought his approach was absolutely dreadful. Juve was good, Ronaldo obviously with a hat trick, um, but I thought Mudan was just dreadful. I thought he got it all wrong in that one.
1: Yeah, um, I think we saw the Kievo version of oh, Moran there, very yeah, very much so. Um, I think, you know, the the way he got Kievo to stay up every single season was that against the big teams, when you get more than 1-0 down to just give up and to just save the energy, save the energy for battles that you actually can win. Now, that... That's fine when you're Kieva, but when you're Cagliari and you've got this good squad, um you have to put up a bit more fight than that, surely they you know they they didn't really they didn't really offer very much at all. I know that Juventus were very good, but the way that Cagliari have been playing, I mean the way that they played when they beat Fiorentina five two they they were excellent, and that proves that they they have got it within them to be very, very good. I think I think Moran just thought. He went back to his old Kiev mentality and and save your legs, lads, we'll do better next week. And that's not that's not enough when you're trying to go
0: for Europe. No, I, I completely agree. Now do you think because I I believe a lot of people thought that, okay, Cayeri okay, got off to a great start, but can they really sustain this? Will they finally fall back down to earth, so to speak? Do you think this is when we see that from them? Because I I thought it was very overstated when people were comparing them to last season's Atalanta. I just didn't see it. I didn't think they have anywhere near the quality. They're a good team, but I don't think man for man they're anywhere near the level of last season's or even this season's Atalanta.
1: It depends really, it depends on how they react in the next match if they If they can bounce back, then you know one defeat um to a very good Juventus side is not the end of the world in itself but if they if they end up losing two in a row, then I can very easily easily see them sliding down the table and and going back to maybe where we'd expect them to be a little bit more. I mean the comparisons to Atalanta were fine because. Calgary were playing some sensational football. However, you need to realise that Atalanta's success has been built over several seasons. They've got a very um, set plan from right to the top with uh, the owner Pecasi, and, and he's he's built that over such a long time that you know you can't a one-off season. It isn't isn't going to be the same thing, you know. So. Um, Let's, let's see how they, how they do, how they bounce back, um, and then then maybe judge what they can do for the rest of the season now.
0: Now, we saw from Juve, them play the diamond in the midfield. We saw Ramsey playing behind Dybala, Ronaldo. We saw uh, Pjanic, obviously, in his deeper role, alongside Rabiot, Matuidi. What do you think about this Juve midfield? Because Ramsey, he's dealt with the injuries. We really haven't seen much from him this season at all. And then you mix that with the attack, which I think they sorely missed Costa. So as far as the balance between the midfield and the attack goes, what are you thinking for them? Because I I still can't help but feel that we're in January now. I'm just still not impressed with what I'm seeing from this Juve. Now, they're still getting the results. Nobody is doubting that. But when you have this Inter side battling them so closely... Are you at all worried for this Juve, or do you think they have man for man the individual from an individual quality standpoint? Do you still think they'll finish at the top win the scudetto?
1: I honestly think it will come down to the the head to head game, the next game between Inter and Juve. I think that Juve will keep winning, and, and Inter will. We'll do the same. We know that Conte can get the results against pretty much any side in Serie A, but it, I think it's going to come down to that match when they play each other as to who gets the title because it, it really has been that close. I mean, you know, uh, you mentioned Douglas Costa and, and Aaron Ramsey. I think when they're both fit, that Juve do look really, really good, but can they stay fit? You know, they've, they've not exactly proven that they can. Um I think it's important that Ronaldo's back on form. I think the fact that he's playing so well now and, and he's got his hat trick and is really proof that the whole storm over, is he upset with Mauricio Sari or we stormed off after he got substituted. I just think that was a niggling injury. He was frustrated by he, the fact that he, he wasn't in tip-top condition because let's face it, he always is. Um, and the reactions to substitutions were his own personal frustration rather than anger or a problem with, with Sarri and people say oh yeah but he went to the international break and he scored three goals to Portugal well scoring three goals in an international game against I think it was someone like Liechtenstein, is not the same as scoring goals in Serie A. And I think now he has got back to full fitness. It just proved that his dip in form, people were saying, Oh, Ronaldo's finished and, you know, all that kind of reactionary stuff. And he he's he is back on form. And and I think if he can He's the kind of influential player in a side that that could really make the difference for them and they're obviously still getting used to the Maurizio Sarri system they're, they're getting used to to a whole new way of playing they're trying to you know Sarri likes a consistent side but his best players are sometimes injured they're getting to grips with all of that um, but to have Ronaldo consistently among the goals and back in form is, is a really important thing.
0: I agree and that's actually a perfect segue because it, I, I know it's been a while since we've been on here and we have not had the opportunity to really dive into Ancelotti leaving Napoli and Napoli appointing Gattuso. So if you want to talk about just drastically different ways of playing, I mean, my goodness, uh, Napoli, they lose at the weekend to Inter. But we've seen now Gattuso in charge for a couple of matches now. Are, are you at all convinced that this was the correct way to go, do you think that maybe they are figuring things out? Uh, for me, I, I just I don't understand this Napoli. The, the midfield particularly, um, I'm sure there's – obviously you can point to the defense. Manolas has been extremely disappointing. But for me, uh, Fabian Ruiz, this entire midfield, it, it's so confusing to me how they just look so bad – under Ancelotti, under Gattuso. I, I just can't believe it.
1: No, I mean, it's it's been a spectacular drop-off from them. But if you remember when we were discussing this several weeks ago, we we decided that really this Napoli side has come to the end of its cycle. And we we said that we thought Ancelotti might leave before the end of the season, which obviously he now has. Um I don't. I don't think the problem is necessarily with the coach. I don't think it's something that Gattuso can necessarily fix. I think the they didn't really have the right balance of players to make it work. And after Sari left, it was it was, you know, Antolotti kept it going for a little while, but it was at the end of an era. Um, and I think Napoli. We said it before. Napoli needs a complete reset, a, a refresh. I don't think the players are um, have a particularly good or enthusiastic attitude like they did before. It's, it's a mixture of things that have all come to a head, and I don't think it's a very good atmosphere. And, you know, I question Gattuso's judgment in taking on a job that really is a bit of a poison chalice for him.
0: I think we all said that it felt like this is the end of the cycle. And the thing is, too, I mean, the ones that you would think... In the times where they're struggling, Koulibaly, Insigne, I mean those seem to be the ones who are struggling most. Now Insigne, above all, has just been shockingly bad. But given that it looks like they need an overhaul. Who do you who do you build around in this Napoli? <laughs> um I mean Meret, he obviously had the big mistake against Inter, but I still think he's a very high quality shot stopper. Um in attack, I mean is Milik somebody you build around? Is do you do you even hold on to Insigne? uh alan seems like he'll be leaving in the summer fabian ruiz he'll certainly garner a lot of attention i i guess i don't know where you start because surely somebody will come forward with a big offer for koulibaly and i can't imagine without champions league football that dilarente says yeah you know what I'll, no thank you it just feels like this is the end but i don't know who you start the next phase with i really don't
1: it's no i i have no idea it's it I think he is going to have to take a completely clean slate. I mean, you would think um, Lorenzo Insigne, with him being a Neapolitan himself, and you know having those strong emotional ties to the city and the club, that he would be a leader and he would be bold and he would be trying to get his teammates um, through this difficult period and, and trying to instil some togetherness. But he's 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 not got the the right disposition to be able to do that he's heads down he's you know he's to me the the telling thing with Insigne is when um, he's asked to take a penalty in a big match he he very often misses um, when the pressure is on and I, I don't think he's mentally tough enough to be um, the leader that really Napoli need him to be um, and starting from scratch is is just going to be a huge task but like you say, he's not going to be able to reject some of the offers that are bound to come in for some of the very talented individuals that they've got. Um. So I guess the sporting director has got a big job on his hands probably in the summer to to bring in basically a whole new team.
0: On the other side though, Inter, they get their first victory at the Sao Paulo, I think I read since 1997. something wow. Just something ex- extraordinarily long. Um. Wasn't, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, it wasn't very pretty. But I think, listen, Lukaku, I think he got a lot of stick, both England and in Italy when Inter decided to bring him. But oh my god, the partnership that he and Lautaro Martinez have formed has just been sensational. And does... Inter have the have the depth to take this all away. It remains to be seen. I think you and I both said that they would win the Scudetto. Yeah, do you still stand mm-hmm. by that? I think
1: so. Yeah, maybe um, Yeah, yeah. I'll say yeah. I'm not com- completely convinced, but
0: okay. So, I, I guess for me, is is that the biggest trepidation with you? Do they have the depth? Um, because Conte has complained about it. A number of times this season. Uh, the January window is obviously open, so you would assume that they do something, whether it's something major, minor, who knows. Uh, obviously, bringing in another striker to uh, to rotate with Lukaku and Lautaro seems to be the priority right now. But what fr- from their standpoint, what is it about them that worries you? And do you think that this form that their attack has with Lukaku and Lautaro, do you think they can keep this up? Because they have been incredible.
1: Yeah, they have. I mean, Lukaku seems to have formed this real friendship with Lautaro. He said that he's friends with him off the pitch as well. And, um, you know, it just shows with Lukaku and as well Chris Smalling that just because they both struggled at Manchester United didn't at all mean that they were going to struggle elsewhere. There is clearly a deeper problem going on there. Um, And Lukaku has come in and and defences aren't, really used to playing against that the type of striker that he is and um he's just done phenomenally well and I'm so pleased for him because he he looked like he was a shadow of his former self um before he made the move. So you know that that is a, a one positive. But I don't know, I think maybe a lack of depth it, it, it depends on who they bring in during the summer window. I mean we all know that Morata is uh sorry, the January window. Um we all know that Marotta is very talented and who he brings in. Um it it is a tough one. I think it it again it comes down to whether they've actually got the quality to beat Juventus. I mean it's not necessarily how good Inter are it's how it's if Juve are capable of losing a scudetto after they've won eight in a row. Um, getting over that mental hurdle is is a big one, um, but you know if anyone can do it, Antonio Conte is the ultimate motivator. Uh, any any mental barriers, he he'll break them all down, and um, he'll. We've already seen he'll have his players just running and running and running for them, and it, it might not be pretty, but he knows how to win in Serie A. He's he's done it before, and you you know to be fair to him, he's done it in England as well.
0: Yeah, another team who likes to run and run and run and run, Atalanta. They absolutely pummel Parma by a score of 5-0. They've got Duván Zapata back. Iricic has looked great. Papu is Papu. Uh, They are one point behind Roma in the final Champions League place, So can they possibly do it again, Chloe?
1: I am never again going to say that Atalanta can't do it. I'm never again going to say it because they keep on and on proving people wrong. And every time you think, oh, they've probably reached their limit now, uh, they just come back. We we thought they were dead and buried in the Champions League. We thought they were, you know, they were out. They'd lost, They well, I think it was three games of the first games they lost. And then they they ended up going through. They... They never ever give up, and the way that that club has been constructed, and the way that um, the sensible way in which it's been run, and that the players are, even the ones that they've sold, it's not mattered because they've they've invested the money they've received very sensibly. I don't see them going away anytime soon because. They're really, apart from Juve, and maybe Inter, there are no other clubs in Serie A that are run that intelligently. And that is beginning to tell on the pitch. Um, And it doesn't matter that they're a small club. It doesn't matter that they're only a few miles from San Siro and the two huge Milan clubs. It it doesn't matter. They don't care. And and that is their ethos and their mentality. Um, We don't care who you are. We're Atalanta, We're together and united, and we're going to beat you. and And that's just it.
0: Yeah. And the th- and the thing is, they have their identity, and they will play that identity every single time. Now they got pumped by Manchester City when they went with that identity on the pitch, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they play the same way every single time, and it's that just such a quick the running, the pressing. It's it's a sight to behold. If you know, I, I implore you if you haven't watched them. To take a look and this weekend is probably one of the best times to do so because they face inter in milano while roma host juve so top of the table clashes that should be uh very very exciting now i'm very excited to get to this discussion about milan because we're going to talk about milan we're going to talk about zlatan and we're going to talk about a piece that you wrote for forbes chloe in regards to the previous management so let's start with that I read the piece that you wrote, it was great. If you could just summarize for people who you spoke to, what you talked to them about, just give them a little bit of an idea of this piece you wrote for Forbes on the uh, former Milan management.
1: Yeah, so um I spoke to David Hanley who um, is the a former AC Milan executive. He was um a, a very heavily involved in the day-to-day operations, um sort of a, a right-hand man to Yong Lee, the former owner. Um you know, they they've been silent for such a long time. So when I uh, um had the chance to to interview David Han, I thought it was a, a huge opportunity. Um, not just for me personally, but for the Milan supporters to hear their side of what happened, because in the press we'd only heard one one side, and and that I I couldn't understand why they hadn't spoken out and why they didn't say what really happened. I mean, in that deal they they lost five hundred million euros because they'd already put money in, and obviously because they borrowed money for, from Elliot to complete the transaction they they couldn't make the payments and then they they lost the club so why why hadn't they spoken why hadn't they clarified and I found out through speaking to him that it was actually because um they were very um hurt by some misleading stories in the press um David Han was uh, an intelligent guy spoke very good English um and they're not as sort of foolish as people might think. Um so yeah, I got to speak to him. He said that he believed that they were forces within the club, um, sort of acting against them. Um, you know, there was there was lots there was lots going on, and I think probably there's more to this story than meets meets the eye. Um, because obviously the narrative has very much been like the Chinese didn't have any money and you know. Uh, and then they lost the club. But actually, <laughs> the very reason why they got involved with the club is because they had a long standing um, real appreciation for AC Milan in China when they started watching seriani that was the only thing that was on television the only kind of football that was on television through the late 80s and early 90s very much like football italia was in the uk and um, it was the only sort of free to watch football so they fell in love obviously if you if you don't have any affinity whatsoever for a team and you start watching uh, italian football at that time you're going to fall in love with ac milan and if you if you get the opportunity to buy that club and you speak to Silvio Berlusconi and etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, um, of course you're going to take that opportunity. Um, but being from a complete different culture and a complete different background, they didn't realise some of the pitfalls. Um, you know that they were going to face. They didn't. They didn't realise how uh, bureaucratic Italy is. How you know how many difficulties they were going to have to overcome. So they were you know, they really had a, a difficult time. And, and that is why it's taken them over a year to speak to anybody at all. So it was a, a privilege to to speak to them and to find out what had happened.
0: Yeah. So if you haven't already, please read the piece. You can find it on my timeline. You can find it, obviously, on Chloe's timeline. So I, I messaged you this. But after reading the whole thing, one of the things I took away was it, it really seemed like they were almost trying to put the blame on elliot for the way things went which i found a bit confusing because all all it takes is a simple google search to find out who elliot management is what they do their history and you don't have to be a you know a financial guru to understand that the loan they took out from elliot was absurd uh, the terms they got were insane so it seemed like a deal when they signed that deal with Elliott Management, it almost seemed like a certainty that Elliott would at some point be controlling Milan. So is that, the, is, that, is that sort of your takeaway from it as well, that they almost feel duped in a way by Elliott? I mean, what what are their thoughts on Elliott Management just in general? Because I, I assume there's obviously still a little bit of bitterness there.
1: Um, yeah, I think they've had time to reflect on it. So they've, they've kind of, you know, I think if I'd spoken to them just after, they probably would have been really upset and angry, but obviously time has passed and they've come to understand what happened a little bit more. Um, when I asked, you know, hadn't you heard of Elliot and, you know, Solly? you know what kind of business practices they have. They, they said that, um, they They like to take people at face value, and don't forget they were also backed really backed into a corner. They couldn't get the money out of china uh they were trying to find refinancing um and they they were on a deadline they didn't want to lose the club um so you know I guess like on a on a smaller scale, like other people who were in a desperate financial situation, they turned to unscrupulous lenders that's what happened and um one of the things in the interview um which David explained to me was that um the the they had to put in so much money into the club's accounts every month um and and that's quite sort of standard in football that obviously the owners the, the club have a bank account which they have to um fund everything they need to pay out for obviously um and usually the requirements for how much the owner needs to put in is calculated over a year um now for, for whatever reason there was some misunderstanding and they were asked to find 10 million Uh, euros per month into the AC Milan sort of bank account and that's that's really um, where they started to come up against problems because not only were they trying to find millions and millions for the Elliot repayments they had to put money into the AC Milan bank account and by the by the end, when the default happened, actually AC Milan, in terms of its bank account, were very solvent because they'd been putting all the money into the account as was requested by Elliot. Who, because they'd loaned them the money, they did have a certain aspect of control of the situation. So you know there were there were lots of aspects to this story that I think are probably still to come out. Um, we all know that Elliot are ruthless. Um, they they clearly either wanted to think the best of them or or were so sort of desperate to to cling on to the club that they, they had to accept their demands.
0: Well let's move down on the pitch. Uh the big news was obviously Zlatan. What did you think about that? And we saw the very uninspiring match as they were held zero zero against Sampdoria. So do you think this really has any effect? Do you think Zlatan is the answer? Does he move the needle for them?
1: I think the return of Zlatan is good in one way and bad in the other. I think that during this this time, where you know they've they've this is probably their worst start to a season in a very very long time. Uh, I mean, I have to pull up the stats to find it, but um, we all know that this has been an absolute disaster. So the return of Zlatan. Um, into a squad of players who've been criticised for sort of a lack of cohesion, togetherness. There's there's been lots of niggling little issues. I think he's probably good in terms of uh, being a leader. He knows um, he knows the history of Milan in a similar way to how Gattuso did. Um, you know he can probably unite them, which has been lacking since Gattuso left um but on the other hand i think it's foolish to place so much hope um on a 38 year old who's come back from mls and you know how much can he really do how how much really at 38 can he he do in a, in a european league i'm i'm not so sure i'm not so sure that he's he's going to work out the way that people think that he might um Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, at worst, it gets people excited because, listen, they've had very little to get excited about. So at worst, it brings a little bit of enthusiasm. Maybe that could lift the team up a little. But still, it's so hard to know with the January window open. I couldn't even tell you a move that they could make that would dramatically improve the team. I mean, do you see anything in January that they could do that would possibly, other than Zlatan, give them some sort of boost because i i just don't see it
1: <laughs> no i don't really um i think it, as we've seen with napoli and also a little bit with fiorentina as well when when you've had a bad run it lingers on even if you bring new people in and you know <laughs> mentally it lingers and that fear of Losing creeps in you know it, it's it's toxic and I, I think yeah. really until Fonseca came in Roma was a bit like that too I agree um so you know it, it takes something to snap the club out of the funk that they're in and 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 really revitalize them and and I don't have the answer for Milan what that is I I don't know
0: before we go here a quick word on Lazio three horse race or no <laughs>
1: I'm I was saying no completely no but they keep winning um
0: I thought Badesha in fairness were very unlucky I thought they deserved a lot more yeah they
1: yeah they were they were unlucky um however to to win these things you do need luck don't you so yeah but but um I I think that it's too difficult not really because of Lazio themselves but because they're not just going up against one team they're going up against Juve and Inter so they'd need really both to to drop points and and then them to gain it back so to me it's it's a two horse race um but I'm happy to be proven wrong if if Lazio just keep going as they have been
0: yeah i mean the thing for me that has just been most shocking and impressive the way they get these results in the dying minutes, it's astounding. Yeah. You can call it luck. Um, but for me, yes, there's luck involved, but there is obviously a component to where Inzagi has them believing until the very last second. And I don't think that's something that can be learned overnight. I think that's something that a manager has to instill over a long period of time. Inzagi has been there for a number of years now. The squad has not had much turnover. So, clearly he's doing something there and it has been so impressive the way they get these results in the dying seconds of a match. So,
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, we have criticized him for a poor mentality in the past about making excuses and blaming the referee and, and moaning. And that seems to have dried up really. And he, he seems to be rather than concentrating on poor Laz- Lazio, we're so hard done to, he's focused that on the team and, and, and trying to give them that belief, like you say, in the final minutes. And you know, Immobile is the same. He he can be dreadful the whole match and then pull out something out of the bag right at the end and score the winner, and you just can't argue with that.
0: Is it a two- or three-horse race? I, I really don't know. Um, But they're right there, and the way they play is just so impressive. So uh, we'll see if they can keep it up alongside Juventus Inter. So... That is where we are going to leave this episode. Very happy to be back. We are going to go back to our regularly scheduled programming now, so we will be back later in the week as well. So as always, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye-bye.